Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. This episode is proudly sponsored by Vivino, the world's largest online wine marketplace. The Vivino app makes it easy to choose wine. Enjoy expert team support, door-to-door delivery, and honest wine reviews to help you choose the perfect wine for every occasion. Vivino, download the app on Apple or Android and discover an easier way to choose wine. Hi, my name is Chris Scott, and we're going to be welcoming in Wine to Wine's 2021 Clubhouse Marathon. That's right. This is part of a big old marathon. Uh, it involves the UK Wine Show, Italian Wine Podcast, Interpreting Wine, and Bevology Inc. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking with Maureen Downey from Chair Consulting. Maureen is a leader in authenticating wines and finding dodgy wines. Also runs a company, Chair Consulting, that is set up to help and train the wine world to find these wines, something that we all need. So you're at Wine to Wine. I'm recording this from um, London. I I didn't manage to make it to Wine to Wine, but um, what I want to talk about today is um, something you're really comfortable with, I imagine, is um, I I want to touch on a couple of bullet points. Uh, The first is uh, just talking about what wines are being fraudulently copied, um, not just the fine wines, but also the entry-level stuff, common fraud techniques that people use. But I'm also quite interested in seeing talking a little bit about the new methods that wineries are implementing to try and manage fraud going forward. I know that you know if you bought a wine from the 1980s and it's a high-value wine, you need all the techniques that you're using, uh, but there must be things that people are doing now to improve the quality of or the authenticity of the wines maybe 20 years down the track. And the last thing I want to touch on today is talk a wee bit about your training, because not only do you guys do the fraud detection yourself, you have a, your own school that trains people on how to do exactly your thing. So they're the sort of four points I want to talk about. So let's start off with um, the types of wines that are being made illegally, because I've seen cases where yellowtail has been made illegally in the UK. It's not just Mouton Rothschilds that are, are being fraudulently managed. Yeah. So what what's really interesting, not interesting, kind of pathetically sad, but true, is that in the last 15, 10 to 15 years, organized crime in China, in uh, Eastern Europe, in South America, kind of all over the place, have realized that getting into the business of counterfeit wine production and sale is a very high reward, very low risk crime. So, you know, if they get caught trafficking drugs, they go to jail. If they get caught trafficking people, they go to jail. If they get caught trafficking wine, maybe they get a slap on the wrist and a tiny fine. So unfortunately, what we're seeing is a a rise in the large scale production using the same exact printing presses and glass production and everything else that a producer would use to make wines at all levels. So it's, uh, it's 
it's an interesting time. I mean, everybody thinks, okay, Rudy Kurniawan was arrested and he went to jail, so the issue is over. Unfortunately, I think that he was not just a catalyst, but he was an inspiration for a whole new broad range of fraud going on. Okay, so what we're saying is that, and, and are, the, are the gangs doing high volume, lowish priced stuff, or are they doing focused on the high end? All of it. I mean, they're doing Carlo Rossi in China. They're doing Yellowtail in the UK. You know, they're doing Sasakaya in Italy and, you know, Pingus and Unico in in Spain. It, there's just, there's no real, there's no real rhyme or reason. You know, obviously when they're doing the high-end fraud, they need to be able to get that to market. But, you know, getting several bottles to market in a high-end sale with the internet is just not difficult. I mean, we've got we've got international markets that are completely opaque. And, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these fraudsters can just open up their own wine store online, you know, offload a whole bunch of wine and disappear. And so nobody's, nobody's for the wiser. So it's, um, you know, I would love to be able to say, you know, if you, if you're only buying in this category, you're safe. If you're only buying in this category, you're safe, you know, and the same goes for spirits. You know, one of the things I'm going to talk about in my presentation tomorrow is we've seen a rise of uh, production in conflict zones. So, you know, you would think that a place like Syria would have more to worry about than producing counterfeit wines and spirits, but it's lucrative. So anywhere that, you know, you can have gang activity where they need to fund other illicit operations where they would have historically, you know, dealt with drugs or, or uh, it, you know, human trafficking, some of the, the more quote unquote classic kinds of crimes, these guys have realized that, that wine is a good way to go scary yeah no no um, and i suppose if just thinking about the uk because it's the, i'm from the uk or living in the uk now things like the yellowtail the advantage you've got is not only do you not pay the brand premium that yellowtail does have almost certainly these guys aren't paying any taxes or duty which is the bulk of the price of an entry-level wine you know the wine itself probably only has 20 50 pence worth of wine in it everything else is tax and margin and markup etc so they can be in a high volume product quite lucrative uh, incredibly and if and then so one of the things that i always like to remind people of and it's interesting because i just spoke at the national conference of state liquor authorities in the united states and i tried to impress upon these people who really they only care about shipping like they care about shipping because there's a lot of lobbying money behind shipping but there are fraudsters out there like mark lazar who sell wine who don't have a license by the time Mark Lazar got caught, he owed the city of St. Louis $4 million in back taxes. He was also selling out of New Jersey, Chicago, and California. So, you know, the next time you wonder why schools aren't funded, this is a reason. And so this, you know, to look at wine fraud and say, oh, it doesn't affect me. I don't drink Mouton. You know, I don't drink DRC. That's just not true. You know, if you use the roads and the schools, believe it or not, it's affecting you because you're right. The majority of some bottles you know, are are related to, to tax payments. And we need those tax payments to make our societies work. But, you know, so I was in London last week. Uh, we were inspecting wines for a client. And I took advantage of being on this side of the pond. Uh, and, and I was reminded that I, when I was out for the International Wine Challenge a few years ago, before the lockdowns, um, I got a bottle of Hendrix at a Waitrose, and it froze in the freezer. Oh, okay. In the freezer. Gin shouldn't freeze. Yeah. So that was counterfeit, you know. So it's it's everywhere, sadly. What's the um? What are the common methods of fraud that people use? Is is there a particular style of wine that they like to do, or particular tools that they use? 
No, I mean, it depends on the counterfeiter. Uh, you know, it's just like asking about counterfeit art. I mean, some counterfeiters are going to do different types of art, right? People usually specialize. What we are, the current trend that we're seeing, so, you know, kind of the old guard. I called Hardy Rodenstock and Rudy Kurniawan were the old guard, right? They made a number of different kinds of wine or, you know, they used classic production methods. So in some cases, like, some of Hardy Rodenstock's bottles, you know, they're plate pressed. They've they've got good. He, he went to a good amount of effort to try to age the labels and such. Rudy was a little bit different because he didn't just make Bordeaux. He made Bordeaux. He made Burgundy. He made Champagne. He made red wine. He made white wine. He made California wine. I mean, so that was really a um, a unique situation. What we're seeing today, and and again, Rudy made old and rare vintages. So he had to age the paper and he had to age the capsules and doing all those things. I mean, every time there's another thing that he did, that's gives us another, you know, breadcrumb to grab onto and find the counterfeit. What we're seeing now is that the current trend is that these, these counterfeit operations are more highly funded. So there's a lot more organized crime. They are using the same um, methods of production that the producers do. So, you know, like the, the Sasakaya ring that was broken up, it was broken up in 19. It was, uh, it became public in 2020. It still hasn't gone to court. But those guys had the correct glass made. They had printer, you know, professionally printed labels with anti-fraud. They had the tissue paper made that looked exactly perfect. They had original wooden cases made. And they had a warehouse of these things. So they're not, it's not really just about the bottle or the juice inside. It's, they're, they're doing the packaging. And the thing that's really, really scary is that they're now doing the anti-fraud. You know, a, a professional digital printer costs about a half a million dollars in the United States or, you know, U.S. If you're making Romane Conti or Sasakaya, that's not a huge investment. So it's worth it for these guys. And, and again, because they're so well-funded, they can afford to make the investment. What... Some obviously you mentioned Sasakaya, quite a famous Italian wine that's had a bit of a fraud case. Lots of French Bordeaux has obviously been fraudulently made in the past. What techniques are these guys using now to make sure that their wines are harder to fraudulently produce in the future? Are they doing, you know, there must be some techniques you can do as a producer to stop it. Is there anything that they're doing? So. Look, I've spent over 20 years looking for the best solution, and I think that I've created it. Every other solution on the market currently is cosmetic. They are feel-good solutions that make producers feel like they're doing something to attack the problem. Unfortunately, in most cases, all that they're doing is creating ways for counterfeiters to either refill authentic bottles and then substantiate the counterfeits or to replicate that anti-fraud and have it, you know, be something where people go, oh, well, there's anti-fraud. It must be real. So, you know, I, I'm going to detail this kind of, I'm going to go through this in detail in my presentation tomorrow in person. But, you know, the problem that we're finding is that wine is an incredibly opaque market. There is no oversight into the into the supply chains. I mean, even so you take the you take the UK market. There's supposed to be some assurance that wine in bond is somehow safer than not. But wine in bond doesn't mean anything. It just means that the duty hasn't been paid on secondary market wines that are brought into the country. So, you know, all of the counterfeits that we found last week were coming from bond. Were they were they purchased from the winery and fiddled in the bond or did he buy them and they went into bond through another person and he got them transferred to himself or her? They were sourced somehow. Yes, yeah, the sourcing though is the problem. Well, right, they were sourced somehow. They ended up at a at a at a trustable, you know, at, at a merchant that I would trust very much. 
um, who sold them in bonds to the client. You know, this merchant didn't know they were they were selling counterfeits. They're damn good counterfeits. But, you know, the fact that they're coming from bond, I think a lot of people, especially outside of the UK, have some sort of misdirected belief that just because something is in bond, it's never hit the secondary market. And that's that's just not true. So, but when it comes to the producers, what they're doing is they're putting, you know, they're putting holograms in the paper. They're putting invisible ink on the on the labels and on the capsules. They're putting, you know, holograms, they're etching, they're using QR codes. All of these things are marketing and cosmetic. They don't help in a situation like the one in Europe. Last year, the year before, there was a, a gang of bandits who were going around and collecting empties from hotels and restaurants and refilling them and then selling them online, you know, at online auctions. And, you know, if, if someone were to inspect those, they would see all of that great authentic print and the authentic anti-fraud and, you know, the, the, all these other things, you know, unfortunately you can, you can 3d print a fake proof tag. Now, one of the other problems that I, I have two major issues with, with cosmetic beyond the obvious that it is cosmetic and it can be used to substantiate a fraud. The first one is a lot of the, a lot of the efforts that producers go to to and you know crypt and put things on these labels on the bottles are secret so even the vendors don't know what to look for so unless every single person who ever buys a bottle of petrus is going to take it back to petrus you know what's the point of having the anti-fraud if it's secret um and they're doing that because they don't want obviously the counterfeiters to know what they need to do to make a perfect counterfeit but if it's secret that doesn't help consumers and vendors either so that's a little bit difficult. And then the 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 main issue that I have and the, the thing that we have we have solved with the with the Shea Vault, um, which is our blockchain secured solution, is that all of these cosmetic anti-frauds, all these little things that you have to scan, that you have to do, you have to be in proximity to the bottle. Almost all fine wine. So I mean, if it's your yellow tail, yeah, you can scan that at the at the store and see, but you know, a smart counterfeiter is going to make a fake website and that is going to go to a fake website, right? So when it comes to fine wine, very few people buy Mouton Rothschild by going to a store and deciding they're going to drop 50 grand on, you know, first growths. You buy it at auction, you buy it on Premier, you buy it through a broker, you buy it in, in response to an email that you get. Well, in all of those cases, you are not there to inspect the bottle. So what we have done with the Shea Vault is we've enabled consumers to be able to see that certificate of authenticity and provenance online in advance of the sale. So the vendors can, can actually put a URL to a particular bottle's blockchain secured certificate of authenticity and provenance that has a photograph of the actual bottle and a condition of the actual bottle. And so the, the consumers can make an informed decision because right now, everything that we look at almost we have a few smart clients who ask us to look at wine before they buy it. But we're almost always dealing with wine after after the people have bought it, you know. And in that case, you gotta, you know, you gotta fight to get your money back and blah blah blah. So we want to empower people in advance. Does the blockchain go from purchasing on Premier or wherever it's been purchased all through its life? So it's a it's a life cycle of its history, or and then you can see if there's been an issue, it's oh, it went to John's house and and in London, and therefore now it's back on sale, then there's an opportunity for some underhanded behavior to occur. So you can you can see where the 
security chain is broken. Yes. So our blockchain solution has, you can actually see the line of provenance. So, you know, if it's inputted by the producer, that's the best, right? Because you can see that this, this wine was certified by the producer at the time of production. It can also be inputted by the primary retailer. So somebody who would have proof of direct purchase, you know, and we require that those documents actually get put into the blockchain, even though um, they are then encrypted and nobody can ever see them again. But we, you know, we want to make sure that this is a, that it's real and it's secure. So, you know, if we need to have some oversight, we can go back in as administrators and, and see that. And then the third way that a, that a bottle would get in is by one of our authenticators, right? So as you mentioned, I've been training people, Shimon Turner, MW, happy to say that. And I have been training people in authentication all around the world for quite a while. So now we have people who are in training and or certified. Certified were in Hong Kong, both coasts of the United States, the UK, France, Switzerland, two in France, one in Switzerland. We are also uh, training people in Norway, in Italy, in Canada, on mainland China, in Singapore, in Australia, and in New Zealand. So we've got a pretty good team out there. And so these bottles can be inputted. And if they're inputted, uh, you know, in the secondary market, we try to put in as much provenance as we can prove. So my whole thing about provenance is I want to trust you, but I'm going to verify because I don't trust you. You know, if we could trust people, wine fraud wouldn't be an issue because every single counterfeit wine comes with a counterfeit tale of provenance. Oh, trust me. I've been buying for this guy forever. Oh, trust me. This guy's the greatest collector ever. All that's bullshit. I want proof. So if we can prove that the wine is authentic and we check it out and it looks good and it looks sound, because you have to remember for producers that a wine being in sound condition is just as important as it being you know, authentic. For In the eye of most producers, if you drink their wine and it's out of condition, that's equally bad as it being counterfeit because in both situations, you're not tasting what they intended. So the wine has to also be sound to be put in to the, into the shea vault. And then once a sale has happened, the, you know, the provenance gets updated. So if a wine changes hand three times... And then you go to sell it, you know, at a Zaki's auction. Zaki's will put the little URL right in their digital catalog. You can click on that bottle and you can see, you know, when it was bottled and then it was sold through Barry Brothers and Rudd to an American who shipped it to the United States. And now he's selling it and it's lot 173 at Zaki's sale, blah, blah, blah. And then when you buy it, the information will update. Your name doesn't have to be there. Your name can be encrypted. But the sale information will never be encrypted. Don't you get into the same risk of refilling, though? If the is it, is it a sticker on the bottle itself? No, it's see. This is the thing. Our 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 chips. We we have proprietary chips that go in the case of primary market wine. They go underneath the capsule. We have worked with our partner Enoplastic to create a tin capsule through which a chip can be read. So this is totally proprietary. This is new world new day stuff. So that's in the primary market. This chip, the antenna is wound so tight that if you pierce it with Coravan, it will, the chip will read um, damaged. So it, it'll say that it's been adultered. The whole purpose of the Shea Vault is when it comes to the selling of a wine forward. So if that chip has been damaged, you can't sell the wine forward. In the secondary market, what we do is we apply an overcap that is a short, clear capsule with a chip and a hologram um, again, made by Enoplastic, um, and those are those are you know they're they're heat shrunk on very quickly. I also don't like glue. 
And so the, the, it's the same thing. So you can't take the, if you take the capsule off, it's out of the blockchain. If you pierce the cork, it's out of the blockchain. Okay. That sounds like a good solution. Just before we close up, I just want you to talk us through a little bit about your courses that you run for helping people train up to become authenticators. So yeah, we do have winefraud.com, which is a resource that a lot of people around the world use, and we're always adding to it. We're always adding galleries. But then there are a lot of people who have found that they want to get involved in, you know, the, the business of, of authenticating wine. And some of them do it because um, they own wine stores and they want to be able to authenticate their own stuff. Um, and some of them are doing it because they want to actually get into the business of authenticating like I do. You know, like last week, we were in London at a warehouse and, you know, spent four days doing authentication. So it's an on, it's a combination of online presentation and video. It's 10 modules. It's invigilated by Siobhan Turner, MW. She ran the Institute of Masters of Wine prior to, to this project. What we do is we, we go through the module. There are certain kind of homework assignments. So at the end of every module, people have to send in the assignments. Siobhan will have a meeting with them to make sure that they've understood everything and that they've they've grasped all of the, the germane topics and learnings of the module. And when they're ready, they move forward. There are two modules that are practical where you have to come and work. Either you have us come and work with you or you come on a, a trip and work with us um, in a real world setting so that uh, we know that people have real world experience. So it takes most people um, about a year, year and a half to get through the program. But as I said, we've now got, you know, five or six certified guys and several more that are very close to being certified. So hopefully soon I will be able to stay home a little bit more and these guys can take over. And the important thing is once they're certified, uh, they are, they are licensed. They are not my employees. They are their own bosses. So um, every one of them have their own companies and they go out and do this on their own. But we really do work as a community, which is good because it, it enables us to find, uh, you know, to, to, to recognize different frauds around the world and, and hopefully put a stop to them sooner than if, if we were a bunch of lone wolves. Yeah, fraud, fraud is international and it could be the same problem can be pairing in multiple places at the same time. You mentioned your website, Wine Fraud. Uh, is that the repository for imagery uh, of fraudulent and non-fraudulent bottles? It is. We don't have everything up there. I mean, there's a lot of things that I think producers would stop talking to me, um, you know, for, for posting. So a lot of the anti-fraud and things like that, we just can't share. It's too sensitive. But yes, we do have examples of counterfeit wine and examples of authentic wine. And, you know, we try to we try to educate as responsibly as we can to allow consumers and vendors to know what to look for, you know, if they have questions. And obviously, when people are members, you know, we encourage them to ask questions and you know, we, we, we're, 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 we're there to help, you know, we're all trying to stop this blight. So, uh, but yeah, there are, there are tens of thousands of, of images. My database is now over a terabyte and a half. So we've got a lot of images to add, but, uh, yeah. And the last question is, um, you've talked about how you're training people up to become experts in detecting wine fraud. Who is keeping an eye on the, on the gamekeeper? <laughs> you got the, I mean, if you Train someone up who could potentially become the next Rudy, uh, Kuruan. 
So how, how do you make sure that those people don't go down that route? We vet people pretty hard, not only, so we do, we also have done live seminars in the past, but we, not everybody in the world is allowed to be a member of winefraud.com. There have been a lot of people that have sent us money to come to our seminars and we've said, thank you very much. Here's a refund. You're not allowed. Before we allow people in the program, they get vetted because we need to make sure that they are. They're good guys. They are doing the right thing. They have the right intentions. And then, you know, one of the other things about the Shea Vault is it allows us oversight into going in and looking at what they're authenticating, you know? So producers would have oversight into the movement of their wines in secondary markets as they change hands. And we have oversight into our authenticators to make sure that, you know, the bottles that they're putting in are correct. The other thing that we do is they have an annual, all the authenticators have an annual like refresher. So it's not like, you know, a scuba thing where you pass it once and then we never talk to you again. We're, we're pretty active on, on working together. Cheers very much, Maureen. That's all the time we've got today. Thank you very much, Maureen Downey from Chair Consulting. And thanks for joining us at Wine to Wine 2021 Clubhouse Marathon. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin. everybody italian wine podcast celebrates its fourth anniversary this year and we all love the great content they put out every day chin chin with italian wine people has become a big part of our day and the team in verona needs to feel our love producing the show is not easy folks hurting all those hosts getting the interviews dropping the clubhouse recordings not to mention editing all the material let's give them a tangible fan hug with a contribution to all their costs head to italianwinepodcast.com and click donate to show your love